Thanks for tuning in to the Calvary Now podcast. At Calvary, our mission is to set people's hope in God and engage in the mission of God. Right now, we're in our Advent series, where we look at how Jesus is our hope, peace, joy, and love. You know, we've been talking about several different things this Advent season. We've talked about things like hope and peace and joy and love. And we've talked about them because those are the four themes of Advent that Christians all over the world are setting their hearts and their minds on. Uh, And so during our Sunday morning series, that's what we've talked about. But when you stop and think about it, those things are all much more than just the themes of Advent. They are the themes of Advent. They're not less than that. But those four themes of Advent are also universal desires of the human heart. I want you to just think about this with me for just a second. If I told you there was a way, guaranteed a foolproof method, that you could, I could come into your life and I could replace something like you know, pessimism and cynicism. I could take that out of your life and put back in only hope all the time. How many of us would take that deal? Or you think about something like, you know, if I said, hey, instead of the conflict that you've got going on in your life, instead of the anxiety that runs underneath the surface that no one sees but you feel all the time, the fear that you have about the future, what if I could take all of that away and put back in its place peace, a peace that would last? Would you take that deal? What if I said, man, instead of jumping from experience to experience or vacation to vacation, or job to job, relationship to relationship, looking for joy in your circumstances. What if I told you you could have a joy that's rooted in something permanent, something transcendent, something internal that cannot be taken away from you? Or you think about that last great theme of Advent love. What if I told you that there was a foolproof way that you could receive more love in your life. I'm talking about real love, committed, sacrificial love. If you could receive more of that, and if you had the capacity to give more of that to others, would you take me up on that deal? I think for most of us, those are just rhetorical questions. Like, of course we would. Yes, absolutely. I want more of that. I need more of that. I feel the desire for more of that in my life. I'll take more hope any day. I don't know if any of you are like this. I'm pessimistic and cynical. It's exhausting to always be looking for the the worst possible outcome of a situation. It's exhausting. I take more peace in my life. Any day, anything to calm those anxieties and fears that we have about the way that things are, the way that we wish that they were, and replace them with, with a wholeness inside based on our relationship with God. I'd even go for joy, right? I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of looking from circumstance to circumstance for a joy that never seems to materialize. Right, a satisfaction in those things that never seems to come, even when I get them exactly the way that I wanted them. And who among us doesn't want more love? Love from the people that you know, love for the people that you know, but also just love in the wider world, a commitment to sacrifice for the best of each other rather than just for ourselves. We live in a world that seems determined to tear itself apart. And some days it seems like, man, unless there's just this massive infusion of love, committed, sacrificial love. We're going nowhere fast. Who wouldn't say yes to more of that? And if we all have universal desires for these things, these good things, hope and peace and joy and love, I wonder what does that tell us about ourselves for all experiencing these desires? I think it just tells us at the end of the day, you and I are searching for something significant. We all want to discover the good life. 
the good life. It's another one of those universal human desires, something we all find ourselves wanting. It's universal in terms of location. You can cross continents and cultures, and everywhere you go, you will find people looking for their version of the good life. It's also universal in terms of age. As soon as a baby is able to communicate anything at all, they make it very, very clear that they want more of the things that make them happy and less of the things that upset them, don't they? Of course they do. And we all do. We're, we're all just like that. We want more of the things that make us happy. We're in this constant search for the good life, the good things of life. And we're all on the lookout for those opportunities. Maximize the good and minimize the bad in our lives. We all want those things that bring significance to our lives, purpose and identity to our lives. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that desire. There's nothing at all wrong with that desire. It is a good desire. It makes perfect sense. You think about how much of life right now, the Christmas season is wrapped up in that desire for the good life, right? The, uh, the Christmas parties, the gift exchanges, hours spent in the kitchen preparing treats for the people that you care about or that you feel obligated to give something to, having people over to your house, right? People maybe that you only see once a year, family and friends you're getting to spend time with now that you don't see a lot, picking out that, you know, that right gift for that special someone. Think about how much of the Christmas season and all those related festivities are wrapped up in our longing, our desire for the good life, for more of what makes us happy and less of what doesn't. Or maybe you've noticed the same thing as me in that searching, in that relentless pursuit of the good life. Maybe especially now during the Christmas season when the, the stress and the pressure of these moments is never higher. It could just be me, but I, something I've noticed is that a lot of the times... The things that I think will get me there, the things I think will get me to the good life, will get me more of what I want and less of what I don't want, even when I have them, I'm still not quite there. It never quite satisfies. It never delivers on the promise that it seems to make. And that is always such a massive disappointment. Kids, it's like, it's like on Christmas, you think that you know what's in the gift that you're going to get. And I don't know if any of you are sneaky like I used to be, you know, and maybe you take a peek in the bag or maybe you give the present a little shake. And if it's Legos, you can be pretty sure you know what you're getting, right? But some things are less clear. And you, but you, maybe you think you know what's in that present and you know it's, that's exactly what I wanted. And so you go in Christmas morning and you're hyped up about it. And what do you do? You tear open that wrapping and then you open up that present. You thought it was exactly what you wanted. And not only is it not what you wanted, it's something that you don't even care about at all. It's something that, in fact, you don't want at all. You ever had that experience on Christmas or in your pursuit, maybe, of the good life? You think you've got it dialed in. You think you're on the verge of getting there. The right mix of experience and work and hobbies and family. The vacation that you want, the house that you want, things just the way you want. And then, man, the rug just gets pulled right out from under you. And instead of finally being there, if I could only have this, then I'll be satisfied. You recognize I'm just as far away now as I ever was. Why does that happen? Why isn't the good life easier to find? Why do we keep getting our hopes up only to be disappointed again and again? Why can't we just dial up whenever we need it? More hope, more peace, more joy, more love. And get them right when we want them. Why do so many of the things that seem like they're going to get us there to the good life, never actually take us there in the end, maybe especially in the Christmas season. 
Here's the thing. Christmas has always been about the search for the good life. That's exactly what the shepherds found. And he read that story to us. When they came out from their fields and into Bethlehem that night, they had an encounter with Jesus. And it changed everything for them. And they left that night having experienced a taste of the good life. The message translation of the Bible says that they let loose with their praise in response to what they had seen and heard. The same thing happens with the Magi later on when they visit Bethlehem. They come and they meet Jesus. They have an encounter with Him that changes everything for them. The Scripture says they were overjoyed in their worship that night. They had tasted the good life. What's the difference for them in their pursuit of the good life and us in our pursuit of the good life? I think it boils down to this. They weren't looking for the good life, for more things like hope and peace and joy and love. They weren't looking for that in their experiences or their vacations. They weren't looking for that in their job or their house or their car or their clothes or their whatever. They weren't looking for the good life in the stuff of this life. They were looking for the good life in a person. A person who could guarantee them more hope, more peace, more joy and more love than they could ever hope to find in the stuff of this world and the stuff of this life. And then when they found that person, what did they do? They had faith in him. They had faith in him and through faith in him, they could finally experience something of the good life for the very first time. Sometimes when we talk about faith in our culture, it ends up having a pretty negative connotation, doesn't it? Have you ever heard some of these arguments, right? Faith, that's nothing more than a blind leap, right? Faith is just a a shot in the dark. It's just wish fulfillment. It's a crutch for people who can't handle life on their own. You ever heard those before? I have. I used to believe them all. But is that what faith is really? What is it? Is it just a shot in the dark or is it something more? And if it is something more, how can that faith get us to the good life like it did for the shepherds and the magi? Here's what faith really is. When you look at the Bible, faith is real trust in the real work of a real person. Faith is real trust in the real work of a real person. And to break that down, we're going to start at the end and work back to the beginning. Faith is centered on a real person. That's Jesus, who we've already been singing and praying about tonight. I'm saying real as opposed to made up because that used to be the criticism, right? There's no proof that a man named Jesus was ever born in a town called Bethlehem. And so you should just give up on that. But when you look at the literature now, the scholars, Christian and otherwise, right? nobody's saying that anymore. Why is that? Why aren't they giving that criticism anymore? Because the historical evidence is showing us now what the Bible's been telling us all along. That Jesus was a real person born in a town called Bethlehem, that he grew up in a place called Nazareth, and that he went on to lead a movement that shook the foundation of the world he was living in and has been shaking the world ever since. And that gets us to his work. What did this real person named Jesus accomplish when he came into the world? I think you can sum it up in kind of three phases of his work. His sinless life, his sinner's death, and his victorious resurrection. You see, Jesus wasn't a normal person. He was born into a normal family like you and I, but he was distinct from you and I. Jesus wasn't merely a human. Jesus is divine, the eternal son of God. And scripture tells us that he put on a body. Over his divinity, he put on a body so that he could be born into the world. The reading that we heard from Luke chapter 2 tonight. And as he lived in that body, he never sinned. Imagine how different your day today would have been if you had never sinned just today or just yesterday 
or just the day before that. And Jesus never sinned his entire life. He never disobeyed the Father in heaven. And so he never deserved the consequence of sin. The consequence of sin, we know, is death. It's eternal and permanent separation from God. Jesus lived a sinless life. Even so, phase two, Jesus died a sinner's death. Why is that? If he lived a sinless life, if he didn't earn that consequence with his own sin, why should Jesus die a death that only sinners deserve? And this is at the heart of the good news about Jesus. Jesus, the sinless man, he stood in the place of sinners like you and me. All of us who are afflicted with this condition called sin, doing what we want, when we want, without regard for what God says is right and best. He stood in the place of sinners like you and me so that we, sinful people, could stand in his place with God. That's why Jesus was born in the first place. That's why you can't understand the cradle without looking to the cross. It's the great exchange, his life for mine, And so now my rightful place is with God. And that gets us to the last phase of his work, his victorious resurrection. You see, Jesus didn't stay dead. If he had come into the earth and he had lived a good life and he had taught some good things and and helped some people out and then died, well, maybe he would have been an impressive person, a good guy, a great teacher, but not more than that. And I don't know about you, but I'm not really looking for the good life in a cemetery. That's not where I go when I'm pursuing more of the good things in life. But thankfully, that's not where we find Jesus because Jesus did not stay dead. Jesus defeated sin in his death, and then he defeated death in his resurrection. And if this real person, Jesus, did that real work, all to bring us back to God, people who were separated far from God, going even further away in our sin, Jesus comes into our world to bring us back to God, then we're only left with one response. And that's real trust. Real trust, real confidence. A sense of knowing and being sure that my only hope, my only way back to the God who created me and loves me and wants the very best for me is through Jesus. Real trust is is Mary, an unmarried pregnant teenager, right? Hearing from God, and instead of turning and running away from him, she leans in and she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Real trust is Joseph. When he finds out Mary is pregnant, he doesn't cut and run. He doesn't break it off with her. He buckles down, he obeys God, and he follows God into marriage. Real trust is when you and I say, you know what, God? As much as I hate to admit it, As much as I would hate to agree with this statement, you're right about me, I'm a sinner. I do what I want, when I want. I do what I think is best instead of what God you have told me is best. And as a sinner, the end for me, if I was on my own, the end for me is death. That's the future that I've earned. But again, there's this good news. And the good news is I'm not on my own before God. Because Jesus stood in my place at the cross so that I could stand in his place with the Father. And the good news is that you are not alone before God. That Jesus stood in your place at the cross so that you could stand in his place with the Father. And so I can have confidence. You can have confidence. We can have confidence that the sinless life, the sinner's death, and the victorious resurrection of Jesus is everything. It is sufficient. It is more than enough to bring us back to God. Put it all together and that's faith. Real trust in the real work 
of a real person. And it turns out that faith is the way to the good life. Faith is the way to the life that you and I were created for, the life that we were always meant to experience, the life that we are longing for, that we are searching for, that we want, but we're looking in all the wrong places. Faith is the way to that life. You go, man, how can faith do that? How can faith deliver on that? Does faith give me all the stuff that I've always wanted? Is faith going to get me the job I want, the promotion I want, the salary I want? Is faith going to get me the family I want, the stuff I want, the house I want? Is that the version of the good life faith will get me? Of course not. Faith gets us something so much better than that. Faith gives us freedom and a future. Faith gives us freedom from sin and the death that it always brings and a future with God in the life of the world to come. Faith gives us an endless supply of hope and peace and joy and love, things that we all want but seem to never be able to find. You can have those things regardless of any of your circumstances in any given moment. Faith gives us the truly good life. Scripture says fullness of life, a satisfying life, a significant life in the here and now. And it gives us an eternal life in the world to come with God. And this is the best news of all. Faith is a gift from God and that gift is available to you right now. It's a gift from God that is available to you right now. And so if you've been looking for the good life in all the wrong places, listen, don't stop looking, right? That's not the answer to just stop looking, to stop pursuing satisfaction and meaning and identity and significance. That's not the right answer. Don't stop. You're on the right track. You just maybe have been looking in the wrong place. You'll never find that thing that you were always meant to have, the good life, the full life, in the stuff of this world, in the stuff of this life, in what you can earn for yourself, in what you can accumulate to yourself, you'll never find it there. You'll always be gathering but still wanting. You'll always be looking but never finding if that's where you're looking. You'll only ever find the good life in Jesus and through faith in Him. Real trust in the real work of a real person. This is what I want you to do. There's a card on your seat when you walked in. Will you grab that card? On the front of that card is a little note from us. On the back is some stuff that's coming up at our church. At the bottom, on the back side of that card, is a QR code. I just want you to know that it's there. I'm going to talk about it in just a few minutes, but I want you to know that it's there. When God gives us this good news about Jesus, putting on a body, coming into our world to bring us back to Him, He's looking for us to respond to that news. He's looking for us to respond like the Magi responded, like the shepherds responded, like people have been responding for thousands of years since. He's looking for us now to respond to that. As I'm thinking about it, man, there may be a few different ways that we need to respond tonight. If you realize you're the person who is far from God, who's been running, looking for significance and meaning in the good life and all these other places, all these other things, never finding it, always needing more and more and more, and you've never trusted Jesus to bring you back to God, to the good life, the response for you tonight is is to trust Him for the very first time. To say, God, I know that's me far from you running away. I know I need to be brought back. I know I can't do it on my own. I've been trying to find something good in life and missing every time. But tonight, I trust Jesus to bring me back. I trust that he paid the penalty, the consequence of my sin, him in my place, 
God guarantees my place with you forever. That may be you. Or you may have been following Jesus for a while now. Maybe a couple days, a couple months, a couple years or decades. But you recognize, man, in response to this great news, God is still calling me to take the next step. Maybe for you that's baptism, like what we saw tonight with the twins. To say, yeah, I, I want to follow Jesus and I want to follow him together with a family. Because we believe here at Calvary that no one should walk alone. That whether you're trusting Jesus for the very first time or you need to trust him again tonight for the millionth time, that you shouldn't have to do that on your own. You weren't created to function that way. So, man, I want to follow Jesus together with my church family. Or tonight, there may be something that's heavy on your heart. And you know, man, God is leading me to respond, but I'm not sure how, and I just want to talk to somebody. I just want to have a conversation with somebody who can maybe help me see the way forward. This is what we're going to do. We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing. And I want you to just take these next four or five minutes and consider your response to the good news that Jesus came into the world to bring you back to God. Thanks again for joining us on the Calvary Now podcast. We desire that Calvary would be a place of belonging and hope where no one walks alone. If you're not already, we would love for you to join us in person at either of our campuses on Sunday mornings at 9 or 1030. For more information, visit us at calvarynow.com.